Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning to teach us about love. Because everything there is to know about real love comes from you. And that is because you are yourself love. And so we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you want to teach us this morning. And may we receive it. And may it change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So as we look together at the first Advent, I want to direct our attention uh, not to one of the Christmas stories, not to one of the prophecies, but to one of, I think, probably the most familiar Bible verses uh, in the world. Um, Not only is this one of the first verses that we teach our children in Sunday school, it often shows up in, uh, on signs of, of street preachers or even at uh, sporting events. Of course, I'm talking about John 3.16, right? Which, in whatever version you learned it, uh, says pretty much the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, As I said, uh, this text is is a little bit different way to start than we did like with uh, when we talked about hope or peace. In in this text, rather than seeing uh, prophecy or, or specific detail about his coming, we see the reason for his coming, the, the motivation behind his coming. So let me ask you, why did Jesus come? Go ahead, say it. Because of God's love. Because of God's love. Now let me ask another question. Some of you will know this, some of you may not. So it's, it's important, I think, for us to understand this. Who said these words in John 3? Jesus did. Yeah. Uh, Jesus himself is telling this curious Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus that God's motivation for sending Messiah is his love for the whole world. And as the conversation progresses, Pretty soon, Nicodemus' head is is spinning. He says to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus says back to him, how is it that you, a respected Jewish teacher of the law, don't understand these things? See, there's a number of things that Jesus expects Nicodemus to know or understand as they have this conversation. And one of them is that God's orientation of love uh, is God's uh, orientation of love to all of humanity is is what what drives what he does. Um, Jesus expected Nicodemus to know this. I mean, of all the conversations he had, this person should have known it. A lot of people don't know it. Maybe even some of you here this morning don't know how much God loves you, but Nicodemus should have known this. Why? 
Um, I've mentioned this before, but the most quoted statement in the Bible by God about God comes from Exodus 34, 6. Context is Moses had led Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They're, they're now at Sinai where the Lord gives the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. And Moses begs God to show himself, show God to Moses. And so God invites Moses up the mountain. He tells him to hide his face in the cleft of a rock. And he says that he will cause his glory to pass by. So Moses does it. And and when God passes by, as he passes by, this is what he says. I am Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The Hebrew term there is hesed. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the unrepentant. So in revealing his glory, really what God is doing is revealing his character. He's letting Moses know, this is who I am. I am. A God compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled or abounding with unfailing love and faithfulness, lavishing unfailing love to a thousand generations. And this statement uh, by God about himself is repeated at least in part over 30 times in the Bible. The prophet Joel says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The prophet Micah said, Who is like you, God? You do not retain your anger forever because you delight in steadfast love. The prophet Jonah, this one, I always find this one a little bit comical. Because Jonah sort of shakes his fist at God and angrily says, this is why I ran from Nineveh to to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. See, Jonah knew that if the people of Nineveh repented, God wouldn't destroy them because he's a God of love. Fourteen different psalms say this again and again and again. And even the Apostle Paul picks up on the theme when he says, what can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And of course the answer is nothing. Nothing can separate us from that love. Paul says in Romans 8.38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all the way through the Bible. So it should be no surprise to us when Jesus explains to Nicodemus, that the reason God sent the Messiah, the reason God sent Jesus, is what? Because of 
his love. So again, God's primary orientation toward humanity is love. And I want to say it in a different way that I think is even more direct. Love is God's strategy to save the world. It's his plan A. And God doesn't have a plan B. Love is God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. I was reminded of this the other night when Becky and I watched the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, uh, Many of you have read the book. I actually haven't ever read the book. I got scolded for that by my wife as we were watching the the film, but uh, I'm I'm going to do that on my vacation. So... uh, uh, but for those of you that know the story, uh, you, you, you know that Aslan is a representation of, of Christ in the story. And in the story, Aslan offers up his life in exchange for the life of Edmund, the traitor, right? And as the white witch hovers over Aslan as he, as he lay bound on the stone table waiting to be executed, she says... You know, Aslan, I'm a little disappointed in you. Did you honestly think by all this that you could save the humans? You are giving me your life and saving no one. And then she says, cynically, so much for love. It was just striking to me when I I watched that scene. From her perspective, God's strategy of love was foolish. And maybe if we're honest, some of us think that sometimes too. Um, There are times that I think that a good dose of condemnation and judgment would do better than love. But the white witch doesn't know the rest of the story. She doesn't know that God's love would also be a power that would raise Aslan, raise Christ from the dead, securing life for all who would put their trust in him, all who would follow him. Again, God's plan A is love, and there is no plan B. If you're here this morning, and you're one of those people who say, yeah, but pastor, you don't know me. You don't know the horrible things I've done, horrible things I've thought horrible things I've said. God could never love me. i got news for you this morning. People may be treating you that way. They may be condemning you or telling you that you, you can't measure up because of your past or you can't measure up unless you do this thing or that thing or whatever it is they think you need to do to be worthy of God's love. But God doesn't think that way. God doesn't do that. John 3.17 says that he did not come to condemn us. He came so that we could be saved. Saved from what? From condemnation. What condemnation? Well, hell for sure. But but some of you are, are living... Today, from one condemning word to the next, one condemning thought 
to the next. Sometimes it's just yourself condemning yourself. And Jesus came to say and to show us that God loves us, not because of anything that we have done, but just because he loves us. It's who he is. Frederick Buechner says it this way, God loves us not because we have deserved his love and not in spite of our undeserving, not because we try and not because we recognize the futility of our trying, but simply because he has chosen to love us. We are children because he is our father. Children of a father who, like all loving fathers, loved us before we had capacity to love him. Loved us with no promise of love returned. I don't care who you are this morning or how you feel about God. Maybe you accidentally happened to watch online this morning. You don't maybe even believe in God, but for some reason you're listening to me. Maybe you hate God. Doesn't matter. God loves you. John 3, 16 and 17 tell us that he's crazy about you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to make a way so that you could be with him forever which just naturally takes us into the second advent. The book of Revelation, as, as you probably know, is a prophetic book full of pretty crazy apocalyptic descriptions of a final battle between God and evil, right? Jesus is described as having fire in his eyes and a sword that comes out of his mouth. It's like some crazy superhero story, right? But the point of the whole thing, in the end, the point of the book of Revelation is not so we can figure out when he's coming back, okay? That's not the point. The point of the whole thing is that God loves us and he wants to be with us. That's why the prophecies about Jesus said that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And the image that John uses in Revelation is of a bride and a groom coming together. The groom is Jesus and the bride is his church, you and me. It's a love story. That's what it's about. In chapter 19 of John's vision in Revelation, he says this, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. You see, all of heaven is making this loud noise because finally, finally the bride and groom will be together. Being together is what love longs for, isn't it? You can see John's excitement in Revelation when he says, uh, Revelation 21, when he says, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Love longs to be together. The, the longest Becky and I have ever been apart is about three weeks almost four one time. Uh, it, it's happened a couple of times. 
when one or the other of us has gone on a missions trip without the other. Usually we have gone together, but there have been a couple of times where we haven't. I I hate those trips. Uh, I I love being a part of something where God is working in, in really amazing ways and getting you can see that up close in person and, and be a part of it, but I, but I always hate being apart from Becky. And, and the anticipation of, of seeing each other again, being together again, is, is intense, you know? Um, I, I remember the first time I went on one of those trips, um, and, and the trip home was about 18 hours of, of flying. Um, on our way home, we... we we stopped in Seattle, and I, I bought two tins of, of Altoids. Uh, between Seattle and Portland, I ate one of the tins. Uh, it's about a 30-minute flight, you know. Uh, in the 15 minutes between landing and getting off the plane, I ate the other one, which I don't recommend. It was a little hard on my stomach. But I'd been away from my sweetheart for three weeks. Friends, I was going to kiss her like a minute. You know? But love, love is more than that. Love is more than just an emotion or tingly feelings. Because what we see in John 3.16 is that love gives. God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. And love also serves. Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served. And according to Jesus in John 14, right now, Jesus says, he's preparing a place for us. He came to love us by serving us, and he's serving us still. That blows my mind. That's amazing. This giving and, and serving is, is maybe the primary distinction between how God defines love and how the world defines love, you know? When I think of how the world defines love, I mean, there, there are a lot of really crazy ways they express it, but I think one of them is, how can this person serve me? Right? So often, love is about what I get out of it, right? How can they meet my needs, my passions? It's selfish. Sometimes I, I hear people uh, defining love or describing love as, as tolerance. Love means accepting everyone. It sounds nice, but it's not quite right. Because God's love, on the other hand, is, is defined by serving the other. It sees every human as created in the image of God. And rather than just tolerance, it, it seeks to serve that person in a way that makes them more like Jesus. Makes them more fully human. That's what it means, really, for us to be more like Jesus. We're more completely human. We're more like the humans that God intended us to be. Well, we're in the third week of Advent, and by now you're getting used to the the rhythm of these messages. Uh, We've looked at the first Advent where God's love compelled him to send Jesus to give himself in our place. 
We've, we've looked at the second advent where this love story of bride and groom is consummated and, and God and his people will be together forever. So you know what's next, right? The third advent, the, the, the present advent. And the question I've been asking every week is what do we do while we wait for the culmination of, of all that his coming was intended to accomplish? He has come but he's coming. We're, we're, we're in, in between the already and the not yet, right? We're, we're still here having to live this life. Um, we've got a, got a good crowd here this morning. Uh, so maybe you haven't heard uh, the other messages in, in this series, and that's okay because I think this is the most important one. I mean, the others are important, and you can go back and listen to them online, but I think this one is the most important. Why do I say that? Because Jesus did. I mean, he didn't say that my sermon is the most important sermon, but, but what this is about is most important. See, people in the first century weren't all that different from people today, you know. People today want to boil everything down to just a few simple steps. Three keys to a happy marriage. Five steps to lifelong happiness. Seven habits of highly effective people, right? Ten days to drop ten pounds. Whatever the thing is, we want to boil it down, right, to its simplest. And people did that in the first century too. Both Matthew and Mark uh, record a story of a religious leader who asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. If there's one thing I got to do, what is it, teacher? You probably know the answer. The man asked for one thing. Jesus kind of gave him two, rolled into one. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 6. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus 19. And he said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So these two things, according to Jesus, are what the entirety of Scripture is based on. You want to boil the whole thing down to its essence, this is it. So the first most important thing from Jesus' own lips for this Advent season or or any uh, season for that matter is this. Do you love God? Do you love God? And maybe I would back up a little bit and say, have you opened your heart to God's love? Because you can't love him if you haven't opened your heart to his love for you. He's, he's loved you since before you were even aware of him. And he wants you to know that love personally, intimately. So do you know and love God? Again, I, I want to say to anyone here or, or listening online who does not know the love of God in Jesus, you can begin to do that today. You can begin to open your heart to him right now just by telling him that you want 
to know that kind of love. Do you? I mean, you, some of you have experienced awful things in the name of something that claimed to be love. And it wasn't. Today, I, w- I want to say that you can open yourself up to the love that actually died so that you could live. There's no greater love than this. So that's the first most important thing. Do you love God? Have you received his love? And the second most important thing that Jesus says is that you have to love others. In fact, in John 15, Jesus suggests that the way to know that you are loving God is whether or not you are loving others. That's, that's sort of the thermometer. That's the litmus test. Do you love God? I don't know. I think so. Are you loving others? Eh, not so much. Okay. You don't love God. That's how that math works in Jesus' mind. And just in case we're tempted to slip back into our kind of messed up definitions of love, Jesus reminds us what that is. He says, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. Of course, he's talking about the extent that he is about to show his love by laying down his own life. But um, make no mistake, he calls us to die to ourselves every day. As uh, Ada said when lighting the candle this morning, this is what Advent, what Christmas is all about. So don't let another Christmas go by without inviting the love of God into your life. Here in a few moments, we're going to spend some time in worship. And one of the songs that we're going to sing is a prayer, really, that invites God's love in. The chorus says, amazing love, how can it be? With open arms, I now receive the greatest gift of all, God's gift of love for me. A friend of mine became a Christian by singing those words from her heart. That was her prayer. With open arms, I now receive the greatest gift of all. And you can do that this morning too. For those of you that already do know him, already have experienced God's love, then the question is this, are you showing it? And I know that many of you are, so many of you are. So many of you have experienced the grace and love of God in Jesus and and you are loving him by loving others. You know, people sometimes ask me, well, what's your church all about? There's a lot of churches in this county. What's your church all about? This is it. Loving God and loving people. And again, I say that's what we're about because this is what Jesus said are the two things that are most important. And again, it's what so many of you are doing. But I want to close with this reminder from 1 John to continue to love in this way. And as I read, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. John says this, Dear friends, 
Let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So far in this Advent journey we've been in, we've seen that hope and peace are anchored in or defined by a person. And and we see it again here with love. God is love. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This, John says, is the definition of real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed uh, by your love. And with the Apostle John, we say how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. With that old hymn writer, we sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. So Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for pouring it out on us. We pray now that you would help us to love others in the way that you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.